Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and other new thought leaders and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. Today, we're going to talk about the power of a practitioner's thoughts and language to help or impede the healing process. And I'm exploring this with my dear friend, Dr. Sue Mortar. For those of you who may not know her, Dr. Mortar is an international speaker, a celebrated author of the Energy Codes, a teacher and a doctor with over 30 years of experience bringing together ancient wisdom traditions with cutting edge quantum science. So welcome, Dr. Sue. I am thrilled to have this conversation with you. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this amazing event with Dr. Sue Mortar. Um, I've called it invisible healing because that's a lot of the work that I do and the work that Dr. Sue does. And if you don't know her, you really need to. She is the remarkable healer who is, has created a whole system that she calls energy codes. And she's written a book by the same name. And she is a worldwide speaker. She's, you know, she's wanted in every country, basically. <laughs> my good friend. So welcome, Sue. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure to be here. So that's not wanted like from the FBI or anything. It's just, <laughs> we're just, we're just having a great wanted, time. <laughs> wanted that we really want to, to listen to you because I've listened to you sometimes and you are mesmerizing. So, oh, so I want to just start, I'm really fascinated and have become more and more fascinated by how thoughts and words are really central to healing. So, and I've seen you in action, Sue, and that is a, a part of some of the things that you do with energy. But let's just talk, let's get basic for a bit. What do yeah. you mean by, when you say energy codes, and what do you mean by energy when you're doing healing? Well, you know, the whole of the manifest world is energy. Everything is energy, everything. So the chair that someone might be sitting in right now is also energy. The body that they are using as a vehicle to navigate this third dimension is energy. All physical matter is just compressed energy. And so when we speak about healing or we speak about mastering energy, it's really about how can we start to identify as this energy ourselves and learn to work with it. So, so the energy codes are a series of principles and practices that people can utilize together to be able to become masterful at the energy that flows through the human system, the bioenergetics, meaning body energies. So if we are sick, those bodily energies are blocked and they're not flowing the way that they're supposed to. If we are healing, if we are healthy, strong, robust, and vital on any level of our lives, mentally, emotionally, uh, spiritually, physically, it is because that energy is able to flow in the ways that it is designed to be flowing. So the energy codes are a codified way of being able to embody ourselves as this energy being, this invisible spirit energy that we are into this physical realm, this physical end of the spectrum. So just... Lastly, let me just say this. If you took all of the energy 
that exists and started compressing it, eventually you would get to physical form. So our thoughts and our emotions are just before that energy becomes so compressed to be physical tissue. And so the more we awaken to our ability as healers, what we're doing is kind of waking up to more of the spectrum that we are, rather than just thinking we are this physical being that's trapped inside of these five senses and, and that's it. So I'm so excited about diving into this conversation because it is near and dear to my heart as well, Lynn. This is where we need to go as a humanity if we're going to become more masterful at being healthy and robust and vital and fulfilled in our lives and being able to help others as well. That is such a great summing up, Sue. And that is so close to my heart too because this is the problem. We are trapped in a, in a really old paradigm. And that paradigm really limits us because it basically says we're a, a blob of uh, electricity and chemical signaling. And we are so much more than that. We may know that when we're children, we, we have a sense of the miraculous and the miraculous abilities we have and the power of things like our thoughts to, to affect matter. But that gets drilled out of us through our teachers, through our, you know, our parents often and eventually and through modern science. And eventually we start believing it. And that just essentially limits us and really limits healing. And one of the things that I've been so fascinated about, of course, is thought as one more energy. And thought, we know this from a lot of the science of you know, the new science of, it's not so new, it's like 40, 50 years ago and the quantum science was a hundred years old, but understanding as you say, Sue, that everything is energy, including our thoughts. We now know that uh, thoughts are essentially things that affect other things and they can be measured. People like Dr. Fritz Albert Pop, the late Fritz Albert Pop, who, um, in, you know, who discovered biophoton emissions that human beings and all living things emit a tiny current of light. He found, and other people working on his systems, like Dr. Gary Schwartz of the University of Arizona, found that when healers were sending out healing, the light emissions from their dominant hand, which they measured with special equipment, actually grew brighter were increased and they could measure it and measure an increase of photon by photon that they were increasing. So thoughts and healing seem to be intricately connected. So this brings me to something else, Sue, which is diagnosis. You know, I worry about the whole idea of diagnosis as a hexing of a lot of people because uh, there is a fascinating story of, um, of a British guy who was going to a hospital in London and doing really well. And he actually had a low level form of leukemia, you know, but he was doing really well. He was, his doctor was giving him some medicine, medicine, but he didn't even know what he had. Doctor was just saying, oh, you're doing really well and come back and blah, blah, blah. So he came back and one day he saw his notes and he read upside down that he had leukemia. So he saw the doctor's notes and that guy, I kid you not, this was reported as a case, was dead in a week. He was dead because of his diagnosis. 
So tell me a little bit about what do you do? What do you think about when you see somebody? I mean, you, you're looking at them and diagnosing in a different way. Hmm. You know, so for 30 years, I was in a clinical setting where people would come to me and I would do a, uh, a, uh, an examination, a neurologic, orthopedic, structural evaluation, a biochemical evaluation to see where they were functioning and what was happening. And, and early on in my career, just coming out of school, I had to go through a differential diagnosis and figure out exactly what was going on here. And I soon recognized that the moment that I came to a conclusion, there was an energetic shift inside of my own system, which I actually didn't care for the way that it felt. Now, keep in mind that I was raised in a family of energy medicine. Quantum science was the conversation around our dinner table. I grew up seeing this energy that we're referring to. I shut it down in my when I was about seven or eight or nine years old because I was talking about it all the time and nobody knew what I was talking about. So I could see it, it was making people uncomfortable. So I shut it down. Then later in my 20s, I tried to get it back and I couldn't. And then another 10 years later, I opened up in meditation to a transcendent uh, experience, a multidimensional experience and my ability to see the energy returned. So along the way in that, in all of that, uh, I began stopping giving diagnoses to patients when they would come to me because the moment that they recognized that they had something, now they had it. And prior to them having it, they just had a series of symptoms that they were looking to have some solutions about. They were curious about what was going on with them. They were in pain. They were dysfunctioning in some way. And as, as I started not seeing the patient as someone who had this condition, and I started looking to the whole person when I would walk into the treatment room with them, I started noticing that they became more free. They became free to heal. They became free to own their own magnificence and their capacity to heal themselves. We started focusing eventually even not on healing, but actually just coming to know the wholeness of their being starting to embrace parts of themselves that they had shoved under the bus or, or you know, put into a box because they were told that they weren't very creative or they were told that they weren't able to, to do things that they wanted to do. Uh, you know, the, all of the ways that we get shut down over the course of our lives. And when I started reaching inside these individuals and cultivating these parts that had been shut down or suppressed in some way, or perhaps never even allowed to develop because of how the individual was raised or the, the circumstances that they were in, then people started healing faster. They started staying better longer and, uh, and, and circumstances that were, that were uh, headed down a road that wasn't, didn't have a very pretty picture associated with it in terms of a prognosis uh, began to make a left-hand turn and people began to, to shift dramatically. So I began to, to operate in this way. Thoughts that we think, the, the words that we say, the approach that we're coming from when we're working with a client or with a patient have everything to do with what gets to happen in that space in between us. And, you know, as you know, Lynn, the expert on in the power of intention that our come from is everything. Let me just give a brief example to people that might be, you know, wondering what does this mean. Um, Twenty years ago, people would, there was a there was a new diagnosis in town, and everyone was getting the diagnosis of fibromyalgia. 
fibromyalgia. So a patient would go to a doctor and say, I hurt in every fiber of my muscles. And, uh, and uh, you know, I need to know what's wrong. And so the doctor would then do an examination evaluation and the doctor would say back to them, you have fibromyalgia. Now keep in mind that the word fibro means fiber, myo means muscle and algae means pain, inflammation and pain. So the patient basically was saying, I have pain in every fiber of my muscles. And then the doctor was basically saying back to them, you have pain in every fiber of your muscles. And then the patient would say, oh, I'm so glad to know that I knew something was wrong. And now I know that I have fibromyalgia. And I would just shake my head and realize that what was happening was we were we were creating another reality, something that is a thing and handing it to a patient. And now the patient is having to carry that thing around in their lives. Whereas if we would just not do that part and just go to work with what is happening with the whole system that is not allowing this person to be self-healing and self-revealing and self-illuminating, et cetera, be self-sufficient and start to go to work on what's that about? What's going on right there? then everything began to change. So I'll Absolutely. stop there and see where you are. Absolutely, and that is so brilliant that you came to realize it. What I'm fascinated by too, is that you were feeling it in your body, this need to limit somebody to a diagnosis. And with the diagnosis, of course, comes the prognosis. You know, you've got three months to live or whatever. Now, yeah. let's just, Everybody out there, let's just think about this for a second. I'm really interested in the work of Ted Kapchuk. Doug, uh, he is an acupuncturist and a professor at Harvard Medical School. And his life's work has been the placebo. Now he did this study some years ago where he, um, he gave a group, he, had, he got together a group of patients who had really severe carpal tunnel syndrome, really in pain. So he gives half of them a painkiller and the other half get acupuncture. And he notes that about a third of the people were, were suffering so much with side effects from either side that they took to their beds. The other two thirds were essentially much, much better. And here's the kicker of it. The, the people who were giving, getting a pain pill were actually getting cornstarch. And the people who were getting acupuncture were actually getting retracted needles. So they were getting nothing. What they were getting was healing words. What they were getting was permission to heal. They were getting, here's some medicine to heal. And that whole idea, and he's done so many studies like that, even giving patients a pill, you know, a bottle of pills that says placebo on it, handing them that and the patients get better. So what is that saying? It's saying that healing essentially is a thought. You know, it's a thought. And it, maybe it's a thought coming from the healer and the healee and some sort of incredible thought interaction that is the real healer in the situation. And so what I loved about what you said, Sue, was this, um, this, refusal to characterize how that illness is going to go by giving it a label, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah. I think that's a really powerful thing. I certainly saw it in our family's life with, uh, with my, uh, my mother-in-law who had end-stage breast cancer and she was 
too late to get any kind of conventional treatment when she finally admitted this and went to her general practitioner who gave her three months to live. And we brought her to an integrative practitioner, really a holistic practitioner we knew about. And when he examined her, I was in the room. I mean, her breast was essentially raw meat and he, the, the GP had recoiled from it. But this guy, Dr. Patrick Kingsley, his name was, um, just looked at it and he said, oh, we can handle that. Oh, we can handle that. And I thought that was it. That was the medicine. That, that hope was the, was the medicine. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me a little bit more this constriction that you felt. Why did you feel so constricted by by the word diagnosis? Mm-hmm. You know what happens is that we get involved in the story, and I was now contributing to a story that someone was going to have to put themselves inside of a box that they were going to have to live inside of, and I just knew that there was a much greater capacity for the miraculous, which was which is actually um, just opening the mind to the infinite possibilities that are here for us and allowing it to be true for us too. When we accept that in a me too kind of way, then the universal uh, field, the 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 unified field has an opportunity to come in through an opening in our individual system and if our individual system is open to that then we get to 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 benefit from things that we never would have thought of when our hearts are involved in an intention the capacity for that intention is quantumly enhanced and so if i was giving them a diagnosis their hearts were shrinking. They were, sh- they were shoving down their, their ability. The bright light that they came into this life as was being dimmed. It was being uh, you know, caged up and put in a box. And I could see this energetically because of what was happening in my own evolution and my own awakening that was occurring as I, my sight of this energy was able to return. And, and I was having these multidimensional experiences. I could see in an instant that this was not... This was not flourishing. It was not life uh, in affirming. It was, it was a quickening that was happening of sorts, but there wasn't an opening amidst the quickening. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. The, the focus that happens when we take a placebo, even if we know it's a placebo, all of our attention is in a single point of consciousness focus at one time. And we take the placebo and it's, Actually, what's happening there is a focusing of the mind to a tiny spot. So all of us, all of who we are is gathering its its attention and it's empowering by impacting in to this single point of consciousness that that we are working with as a, a pill and a placebo or a deep heartfelt intention or wherever and however we are directing our mind. So I began to recognize that working with the raw energy itself was more important than naming it. That once we name it, we separate ourselves from it. And now I'm over here and this thing is on top of me, this diagnosis. So this condition, this disease, and it, that separation disempowers us from ever being able to do anything about it because the story goes that people die from this condition or people have this condition for, for decades or they have to learn how to live with this condition, et cetera. And that is one of the most frightening things that we can do 
to the mind field is to give it parameters like that. When, when, uh, when it has an ability to do something more uh, fantastic for us. So, so we have to quicken and focus, but we can't close off. We have to remain open while we're gathering our attention. When we close off, we close off those infinite amount of possibilities that we end up calling miracles but they're really not supposed to be miracles. It's supposed to be the way that we're living and what we're allowing to be. We've just created a world for ourselves that is completely boxed in. So when I was feeling this in my own body, when I would engage in a conversation that was starting to constrict energies in me, I could tell I wasn't in alignment with the greatest healing power on the planet that I had been aligned with at other moments in my own meditation or when I was working with the client, etc. So I stopped doing anything that caused that contraction and allowed my system to remain focused and intentional, but not closed off in a box that we just created for this patient by giving them this story it called a diagnosis. So started happening there was everything began to change. That is just so interesting because I think that, you know, when you look at the healer healy experience together the thing that really does disturb everything is the diagnosis and from the patient's point of view i mean i have my own story which was pretty fascinating because um as dr sue knows i had some problems walking for a couple of years um i was born with some sort of hip dysplasia that didn't bother me most of my life until the last couple of years. And so in the search for what I eventually, you know, got sorted, but in the search for that and looking for the right kind of healer to work with, I started getting really fascinated by their languaging because their languaging was so disempowering. If I wasn't the, you know, the rather rebellious person that I am and audacious person I am usually, um, I would have been really deflated, but I actually started using this as material. And I, I talk about this in, in the course I'm about to give, become a better healer with a power of eight, which is for practitioners. Um, but in this journey, it was fascinating. I, I was taking notes of people who were otherwise excellent healers who were saying things to me like, this is going to be a long and painful journey, Lynn. Or, you know, this, or if they were examining me, they'd say, this hurts, right? And I'd say, no, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> but they were, you know, they were sure it did. Or you've got scoliosis. And I said, I'm pretty sure I don't have scoliosis. You know, I've been checked out. No, I don't think that's it. And so it went. And finally, I think my favorite one was, you're a shadow of your former self. You know, I was walking around the park today. And I saw a guy doing silhouettes and I felt like getting my silhouette done and sending it to that practitioner and saying, here's the shadow. I've dropped it. <laughs> that's you know, a shadow. <laughs> so that's the shadow. But I just thought, wow, you know, as I say, if I hadn't been the fairly rebellious spirit I am, this would have crushed me. It would have limited me. It would have determined what happened to me. Yeah. And I think that is the element. I think that 
practitioners of all types don't really realize this is all unconscious. These are all, you know, we're inadvertent. These aren't people who want to hurt their patients, but they've been, the whole idea of telling the patient the truth, being truthful with the patient has been drilled into practitioners so much that people don't really think about what that actually means. Yeah, you know, yeah. if thoughts are energy and if thoughts are things, and if we are all energy, then somebody sending that kind of limiting thought can prove fatal as it was with that guy in that British hospital. Yes, so, you know, that's what I feel about uh, talking and languaging and even thinking among practitioners. So I have another question for you, Sue. When you're thinking about, so you don't use the language, but when you're thinking about another about a patient that you're dealing with, what thoughts work best for you? Mm -hmm. Or do you try not to think at all? What's, what's happening in terms of your thoughts? Yeah, when I'm actually working with someone, either with hands-on or even the remote healing that I do, I oftentimes am just having my mind focusing on this flow that I'm, that I'm working with and allowing it to drop to the earth through this system, rise up through me and, and project in whatever way I am focusing it in the work that I'm doing with someone. I'm simply just witnessing that, allowing that to be true uh, and, and feeling the potency of that energy moving. And so my mind isn't thinking happy thoughts it's just being present with what is. It isn't thinking heal the problem because I don't believe that it's a problem. I don't see it as a problem. Now, this comes from something that I speak about in, in you know, what I'm teaching people. I wrote about it in the book that you mentioned that we have to come from this place of radical wholeness. I call it the front side of the model. And it, we have to make this quantum flip into this radical space of recognizing that every single thing that happens in our lives is in our favor. Even if we we can't see it. In fact, especially when we can't see how this is benefiting me, then, then it, it's, it has medicine in it for us, for us to recognize that if I can change my come from, if I can change my perspective of life and what's happening here to a bigger picture perspective, I can actually start to see and allow all these things that are occurring in my life to be to my benefit. And prior to me ever looking at them that way, they're not. But when I start running it through that kind of filter, it begins to reveal. And it actually takes us into a, a greater ability to be present and fully available to whatever is happening so that we're not pro pro constantly trying to protect ourselves from this happening or that happening. We're available. Now, there are ways that people can go about becoming more comfortable so that they can be available to more things. And that's, of course, what we're talking about here is learning and recognizing and remembering and realizing, hey, you know, it's not about a story of good and bad. It's about, it's not about either or, it's about both and. It's about, there's not a problem here. And when I can start to look into myself and recognize that I have a greater capacity to be present with this situation than I ever knew I had, now we start activating these healing energies that, that were sitting dormant, just waiting for us to give them a chance to participate in the flow of this system. 
So when I'm working on someone, I'm seeing them as whole and complete. I walk into the treatment room and when, when, when I was in my clinical days, you know, now I'm, I'm traveling, not traveling so much, but teaching all the time. So I'm, I'm doing more remote healing and that type of thing. But, but the thought is on the infinite potential. The thought is with compassion to allow this individual to find that within themselves. My, my mind's attention is on wholeness and it is on the celebration of discovering the parts of an individual that were being suppressed that led to their illness in the first place. The parts of an individual that have been keeping their innate internal natural healer to be able to become robust and expressing in all parts of their lives. I see them as whole and complete. I see them and know that they have the capacity to rise up in this life in, in, in health and vitality. And if they're not, there's a reason. And that reason is simply because of something they're not aware of, something they've misinterpreted in their lives, something they have drawn a conclusion of and are caught up in a story of their own. So if I can stay out of the world of story and just work with the raw energy that is flowing through this system and enhance it with love and celebration, then what happens is that healing energy inside of the individual does the same. We all know about resonance and coherence and that, that if we're dialed into a certain frequency, we tap that frequency for other people. And when we're dialed into the most infinite potential, but we're embodying that for ourselves, then those that we are working with or intending for have a greater and greater capacity to tap that same um, universal healer within themselves and they heal themselves. So... And that's the thing. That is the interesting part of it. They heal themselves. Now, one of the other things that I've been focusing on with the work that I do also is the thinking and the words of the patients, because it's not just the healer. This is a little dance that's going on. And in so many instances, in certainly the people that I've worked with over the years with power of eight groups and individually with the power of intention, they come, as you say, with a story. They come with a preconceived notion of whether or not they can heal, or even if they're not aware of it, their thoughts are usually limiting, negative. You know, I mean, if I were to ask you out there to just write down what you're thinking next week, I can guarantee you that 75% of it in most instances, if not more, is going to be negative self-talk. It's mm -hmm. going to be, that's going to be the internal narrative, the narrative of your life that is crushing you from exhibiting all that you are, essentially. And then that is the thing that gets into the way also, oftentimes with a practitioner with healing, and it's often, you know, most of the time isn't really addressed, you know, in fact, is contributed to, as we said, with the kind of offhand comments, et cetera, because any offhand comment of a practitioner is going to be magnified, you know, a hundred times in that ill patient, because he's already feeling ill, she's already feeling ill, and that is just confirming to her that it's going to be hard, if not impossible, to get well again. So really part of the, the I think the skill of, of being a practitioner is also healing the thoughts 
of the patient too. Mm. And mm. I don't, you know, I've certainly seen that with power mate groups all the time. There is something extraordinary about a small group that enables people, gives people permission to heal, but also it, let's say it's eight people in the power of eight group, seven eighths of the time they're sending intention to somebody else. And so that in itself, getting off of themselves, being part of this larger entity, this hyper mind state of a power of eight group, that becomes healing too. That just, I think the getting off of themselves is a really big piece of it. They get to be a healer as well and to participate in this positive story, you know, this positive outcome. And as a result, I mean, I've seen thousands of cases of power of eight groups producing miracles, you know, with, with people with, you know, all kinds of conditions, including, you know, stage four cancer. We're working with two people with stage four cancer now, and, you know, it's turning around. And I believe they have other things they're doing, but I think the power of a group is changing their thinking process. I'm watching one of the people in this power of a group of mine. And I see that in, she came in with an expectation of pain that she was going to be, her treatment was going to be painful. Her surgery was going to be painful. It was going to be tough. It was going to be a hard, hard road to go through. And what we worked on really was that she was going to go through it with ease. And she has. And she's astonished. She's astonished. So in that case, changing the thinking changed the path, the healing path. Now, how about with you, Sue? What have you seen? Before we start taking some questions, what have you seen with some of your patients in terms of thinking processes you've, you've needed to work with? You know, one of the things that I'm teaching people is to take their attention, their mind's attention to their body. Whenever they're in a situation that has a charge for them, something upsets them, maybe the moment they received a diagnosis, maybe it was earlier than that in their life, which is what created the need for the diagnosis, created the symptoms and caused them to go to the doctor and find out what's going on. When they think back about something that's happened in their life or some disposition that they grew up with or whatever the case may be, that rather than staying just in their head, but if they direct their mind's attention to the body, they will feel a knot in their throat, a tightness in their chest or a lump in their stomach, et cetera. And it's trying to tell them something. It's telling them that the system isn't able to be working the way that it is intended. And so I direct their attention into their body. Where do you feel it in your body when you think about um, you know, that situation from your past? Where do you feel it in your body when you think about the moment you receive the diagnosis? Because we have to do some work there. So often one's energy field contracts so much the moment that that they read upside down on the on the page that they have leukemia or the doctor looks at them and, and points out their test results and tells them this story they leave that that conversation with a huge contraction and so I'm teaching people how to, you know, how to work with that and use it to their advantage to learn to build more circuitry. And so, so when it comes down to what are the thoughts then that I would think instead of the upset that, that, that I'm directing their attention into their wholeness as they're learning to breathe up and down through the body and, and do the things that they do with the energy codes, their mind's focus has to be on infinite possibility. 
radical acceptance of the self, being in the love vibration. If, if, the, if this breathing of love through the body can happen, then healing happens faster. I find that the vibrational frequency of love is like the universal solvent, that all of these issues start to spring forth from an absence of self-love. So when the mind is focused on loving thoughts, thoughts are com of compassion, thoughts of, of tenderness, thoughts of intimacy, thoughts of deep care, coming home to the self in this sort of a way, all have a tremendous empowered ability to enhance the healing presence within. You know, if we take this unified field and start compressing it all the way to physical form, if we decompress it all the way back out to the unified field, when we start the compressing, it starts a vibration. A vibration starts the moment we start compressing energy. That very first vibration generates a frequency. That first compression generates a vibrational frequency that we call love. So when we're loving, we're as close to being in the infinite possibility um, as is possible to still be in a body. So the power of love and intention is exponential. If our intention, if our thoughts are of love and compassion, not love and sorrow and pity and feeling badly for ourselves because of our diagnosis, but, but coming home to ourselves in a way that says, you know, hey, I was put on this planet to have a full life experience and I was given everything that I need to have that. And somewhere along the way, I got suppressed or I got splatted and scattered and dispersed or I got disoriented in some sort of a way. And now that's showing up as symptoms. And then I go to the doctor and they name the set of symptoms that go together and what we call a disease or a diagnosis. But they're just a collection of a chain reaction that started with how do I believe in myself? How much is it here? How much am I letting that be true? You know, the number one thing, as you said, Lynn, that I, you know, ask people, you know, what are you wanting from this course when I start teaching a course on self-healing, whatever the case may be, or, or healing others, it, it's about, uh, I want, I, I need more self-confidence. I don't have, uh, I don't have faith. I don't have trust in myself. I, I need, you know, I have so much pain in my body. I can't get optimistic. And, and what I know turns it around is when we climb inside and pick up where we left off, somewhere along the way, we landed here, we splatted, we dispersed, and we became disempowered. And we started depending on the outer world to tell us who we are, including the diagnosis that they give us. And if we can just come back here and have a do-over, just begin again, <laughs> everything begins to change. And this is what you're doing with your beautiful work, Lynn, by, by setting people into groups and allowing this power of intention and the power of collaboration to have an effect on us. It gets us out of our own stuff. You know, I just glanced over here and saw this picture that I have from teaching that, that we get into our own distortions versus sitting in our perfected biofield. And if, I, if I'm in this distorted state and I get in the company of someone who's even maybe not perfected, but a little less distorted or distorted in a different way, we can help each other find a way for this rising energy to find its way to, to express into this toric field flow, which allows for healing in the body. And when people are gathering in your groups of eight, Lynn, this is what's happening. Someone has had a difficult time here. Someone else has had an empowered experience with the same thing. Their energy fields are now influencing each other. And so we become more unified by gathering and we have access to energies that we don't have access to alone at first. 
Now, ultimately, we do have the power in and of ourselves, but it sure is helpful if we can get if we can get a little support from our friends uh, in the meantime that are also think, focused on our highest good. You know, there's nothing like that. No, I think, and, and I've looked at so many aspects of power of eight groups and what's healing about it and what practitioners can learn about this too. And I found it is really a fast track to entering oneness. I mean, that's certainly what the brainwave uh, studies we've done on power of eight groups certainly show that within a few minutes, people enter into a state that is essentially analogous to a Buddhist monk um, involved in ecstatic prayer or a Sufi master involved with chanting. It looks nothing like meditation. It's another state. And I think what you're saying, Sue, is so right, which is if we can enter into a state where which is the state we really are, a state of oneness. You know, we don't get to experience the field. You know, we don't get to feel that. We feel in our own little corporeal separateness all the time. That's where we live. But I think in a group healing and moving beyond this kind of, as you say, this separateness, this diagnosis, this, this sense of limitation, when you're part of a group, you leave all of that. You drop that. And I think this is what is empowering, I think, for practitioners and some of the work that I'm doing with this course I teach, Become a Better Healer with the Power of Eight, is showing practitioners that their patients will heal faster if they, they form their own groups. That's another healing capacity to, to work with. But to get them to understand that whatever they're doing whatever kind of modality they use can be enormously augmented by bringing in to bear what everything we're talking about 